Picking. Welcome back. My name is Abby, and I am just so glad that you're here again with me for the episode number two of Abnormal the Podcast. And today we have something in store to talk about that is really important to talk about, but really hard to talk about. So before we get into any of that, uh, my lovely husband suggested that I start off with um, Terrible Joke Tuesday, because at the time of recording, it is Tuesday, and it's a really bad joke. So hold on, because here it goes. So what did the annoyed flip-flop say to the croc? Shoe. (laughs) Okay, so that was like really bad, Um, but I think it's funny. You don't have to. That's okay, but I hope you appreciate it as much as I did. And my husband, he thought it was funny too. And I trust his judgment. So there you have it. So today we are going to be talking about um, how do we handle loss? How do we handle death? And um, that's just, that's a hard one to talk about for a ton of reasons for a lot of people. Um, whether it's because you witnessed death secondhand, you you witnessed it firsthand, you have some friends who went through it, some family who went through it, and um, this is kind of a touchy one, a, a hard one. And I don't know um, the experiences you've walked through, but I do know the experiences I've walked through in relation to death. And a part of my my story, my my life narrative, is death is a huge part of my story. Not not because I died. I have not died, but because a lot of people I know have died. So um, we're going to be spending some time in the Word today, just processing um, and just hopefully through sharing some things I've walked through that you can get to a place to sit down and process and speak out loud your experiences. Um, I've, I've learned that writing and speaking out words in words things I've walked through really helps me process it's not the same for everyone but I think it takes a certain level of boldness to say something that has happened because then it feels real right then it feels like oh I don't want to say it out loud because then like like in some weird way it's solidifying it happened even though it already did so um that's just something I would encourage you to do um in the step of your he- in the step for your healing process. So, with all that being said, um, I would just like to say I have a memory when I was a kid. So, like every kid, you know, they're like, "What's your favorite Bible verse? What's your favorite part? Your favorite Bible story?" That might be a more accurate description for kids. Like your favorite Bible story. And I remember being like seven, eight years old, having my precious moments Bible. You know, like the super sweet Bible that was like pink if you're a girl or blue if you're a boy and like to have it was like an amazing accomplishment as a child so I remember being like maybe like eight and super strange because people would ask me they're like what's your favorite your favorite verse of the bible and I'd say Ecclesiastes 3 and they're like oh uh what's that about and just to give you a hint at how strange I was and kind of morbid as a kid, literally chapter three, it's the verse about a time for everything. And it literally starts off like this. Okay, keep in mind, I'm like eight. It says, for everything there is a season, 
a time for every activity under the heaven, a time to born and time to die. Why on earth was that my favorite? I have no idea. And then the second subtitle of chapter three literally is called The Injustices of Life. So I don't know why. I must have felt really strongly about fairness and apparently thinking about death ever since I was eight. I have no idea. But I just reflect back on that. And you you could find my Precious Moments Bible and you could see that whole section is like underlined and it's highlighted. And it's very evident that was like my go-to passage as a kid. And I have memories of sitting in my parents' kitchen at the small little kids' table during the summer breaks, like rereading it over and over and over. And I really don't know why. As an adult, I look back and like, that's super weird. Like, Abby, you were weird. So I think about that. But now as an adult, having everything I've walked through in my life, and now I wonder if maybe that was the Lord preparing me um, for what is a big part of my life narrative. So um, I guess let's just let's just get right into it. So um, as I said, today we're talking about loss. Specifically, the aspect of loss is death. So in my mind, there, there are multiple moments that kind of define loss in my life in experiences I've walked through that have really shaped me into who I am today. And the first one was when I was 16. My family had semi-recently moved to a new part of the state we were living in. And um, I had not seen my, my friends who I'd went to school with from kindergarten to seventh grade. And I was very close with all of them. And that was my community at the time. But we had moved semi-recently, a few years later, and it was Christmas Day when I was 16 years old. And I remember getting on, I think I want to say it was Facebook, and just seeing people post these things of just like, I can't believe this, I'm in shock. What in the world? And I remember just like looking, I was like, what happened? Like, what on earth could happen? Like, it's Christmas Day. And I just come to find out that one of my childhood friends had died in a car crash at age 16, Christmas Day. And I remember feeling really confused because he was 16. And I didn't know what to do with that. And I also remember the eerie feeling of the first time I realized I too could die before I graduated high school. And that ultimately nothing was in my control. And I just remember that that feeling of, well, what if I don't even make it till I'm 18? Kind of followed me all the way into adulthood. Um, so that that first death of a friend really was the kickoff point for what would ultimately be a, a crazy trail of just more deaths. So by the time I turned 25, I won't go into detail of all of them, but by the time I turned 25, around 20 peers of mine have have died through car crashes, completing suicide, drownings, or sickness. And honestly, I had begun to to lose track of the number. I'm estimating it's around 20. It's probably a, a couple more, I would guess. And it just became almost routine that 
some a little bit of time would pass and then another peer would die and a little bit more would pass and then another peer would die and it became like almost like a sick joke that if you lived where I was where I was went to high school that you were gonna die before you were 25 like that's what it felt like because so many people my age were just always dying and these peers deaths fueled this fear that I might not make it to turn 26 and I, I remember vividly thinking that through college that I might not even see turning, you know, 25, 26 years old because no one else I went to school with or no one else I go to college with does. And obviously I was overgeneralizing, but a, a lot of people I knew just, just seemed like there was always someone dying. I think back to another experience of death that I had. And it was a week and a half before my 18th birthday. I got home from school. I had a good day at school, I remember. It was, it was, I felt like I was able to understand everything in classes those days. And I don't remember it being a weird day. But I got home from school and my mom seemed a little distressed. So she sat my sisters and I down to share the news that my cousin's wife had completed suicide. And this came as a total shock because she had recently had her second child and uh, we knew her. She was friendly. She was talkative. She was confident. And I just could not grasp as a 17, almost 18-year-old that this had happened. I was like, what? Like, what do you mean she's dead? And what do you mean she chose to die? What? Like, And I just remember not knowing how to process the insurmountable loss of of death around me at that point. I think the most pivotal one, though, would be the death of my paternal grandfather. So just six months later, after my cousin's wife had completed suicide, my paternal grandfather was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's T-cell lymphoma cancer. And I remember that he told us, I, I want to say it was my graduation party of high school, when I noticed he was kind of grabbing his leg and I was like, Hey, are you all right, Papa Don? And he said it was kind of hurting, but he, he was okay. The doctor said not to worry about it. Um, but basically I, I, according to my memory, that was when I found out that he had been diagnosed with cancer at my graduation party. But because of his, his confidence that the doctor said everything was okay. I don't remember being overly concerned. I remember being nervous, but not like burdened by it if that makes sense and the doctor told him that he could potentially have you know another five or so years living with with this cancer Um, and at this time he was I want to say he was 84 years old I think and so I think ultimately we just tried you know we were nervous but tried not to really let the fear of like, well, what if it goes wrong really quickly kind of weigh us down. Well, fast forward exactly two months later, my grandfather has passed away from that cancer just eight weeks later. And it came on so suddenly that I just remember being in this swamp of grief and just total confusion of how could this happen so fast to someone 
who was doing everything he could to take care of himself. And I think one of the moments that haunt me most about that experience of walking through what ultimately led to his death was the couple days before he passed, the doctors had called our family and told us, hey, it's not looking so good. You might want to come and see him. Come drive up. It was about like a 45, 50 minute drive. Come see him. And we all went in one at a time. My sisters and I and my parents. And it was my turn to go in to see my grandpa. And I was crying. I was really distraught. And I remember we were just trying to just be together but talk. And so he made some comment about the TV commercial. And he made some comment about the nurses. And then he told me not to cry. And I told him I was sorry. I was crying. I couldn't help it. And he held my hand and I just kind of stood there crying as he laid in the bed. Um, and we were only allowed to have one visitor in the room at a time. And apparently my time had passed and one of my sisters was going to come in and um, just be with him for a little bit. And I, I told him, I was like, it's my sister's turn to come see you. And he sat up and he looked panicked and he grabbed my hand a little tighter. He said, where, where are you going? Where, Abby, where are you going? And I told him again. I was like, oh, it's my sister's turn to come see you. I'll be back. Don't worry. I'll, I'll be back. I'll see you again. And I just remember the look in his eye with him half sitting up, just his eyes wide in panic as I let go of his hand and I turned to walk out the door. And as I turned out, he was still sitting up, just looking at me with this look of concern in his eyes. And I didn't know it, but that would be the last time I'd see my grandfather conscious. I never got to say goodbye. And the final words we spoke, he had panic in his voice and in his eyes. And I told him I'd be back, and I never was. That moment stuck with me for a long time. I didn't realize how long it would take to process that until months after that experience. And then a couple days later, after that experience, he was not conscious, and he was on all these machines, and there was beeping machines, and all this stuff. And the doctor called family again and said, hey, we really think he's not going to make it through the night. It's really not good. You guys need to get here as soon as you can. And at that time, they allowed all of the family to come in. And when we got there, everyone was there. We were the last ones, my dad, my, my mom, my sisters, and I, to go in the room. And we went up to to his bed and we told him we loved him but of course he was unconscious and he couldn't respond and my dad was the last one to tell him that he loved him and it was okay it was okay for him to let go and his heart stopped at that moment and I saw my grandfather die I saw the life leave his body and he laid there and that was it and that pivotal moment of loss in my life, witnessing death f 
firsthand was something I didn't know what to do with and somewhere I didn't I didn't know where to take it that death changed who I was the death of my cousin's wife changed how I how I saw the world and the death of my peers this seemingly endless amount of peers who had died it just seemed impossible to process and to go anywhere with and i think back to my favorite bible chapter when i was a kid and it talks about how there's a time for everything and it literally lists everything there is time for every every possible situation and Apparently, my favorite verse was a time to born and a time to die. And so it's not like I wasn't aware people died. I just didn't know how to handle, ultimately, this seemingly large ratio of people who number of deaths I experienced by age 25. It seemed a little high. And most people I talked to, they only they had their great-grandparents die or their grandparent die. Or they'd had a friend or two die or they were older, so they had a couple siblings die. But anyone who was my age, I just felt a little out of place that I'd experienced 25-plus deaths by the time I was 25. So I know I can't be the only one who's experienced death in their life or who have experienced a large part a large amount of death so I guess ultimately I would just like to let you know that you're not alone in this journey of processing death and if you're still mourning an experience you've walked through, something really difficult you walked through, maybe you've witnessed someone you love die in front of you. Maybe people that you had relationships to suddenly died out of nowhere and you're kind of left like, oh my gosh, like, what? Like, what? And just... I just want to let you know that you're not alone. So I did some research and a lot of it came out of Ecclesiastes, but there's some other verses that I came across I'd like to share with you. In Matthew 5, 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they, they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If you're mourning today, this is a promise from your God that you will be comforted. He promises he will comfort you. What that looks like, I don't know. When that time comes, I don't know. There's a season to grieve. And there's a, there's a season to, to feel that joy again. And I don't know when that's going to come. But he promises he will comfort you. 
Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He is referring to Jesus or God. He promises that he will not leave us hanging high and dry in the destruction and wake of death around us. He promises that he will heal our hearts, that he sees that our hearts are broken, that we have this crazy amount of death around us and processing it seems impossible but all we know is that our hearts are shattered he promises to heal our hearts he doesn't say what day he doesn't say when he just says he will and life has shown to be rather uncertain um you know as in my experience just the number of people who have who have died, that's out of my control. I never expected the people who died and the way they died and the time they died to happen. But I know that his word is true and that I can trust that if he says he will heal my broken heart, that he will do that. And I can confidently say that when my grandfather died in front of me and my family in 2014, was that? Six, seven years ago, I can't do math off the top of my head. But whenever he he passed away in front of us, I thought there was no way I would ever be able to move forward. No way I could talk about my experience without bursting into tears. And no way that I could ever process it. But years have passed and it's not time that is healed. It's Jesus that has healed my heart. And here I am in 2021 and I'm able to share about this experience I've walked through the Lord has healed my heart enough that don't get me wrong this it deeply saddens me still I miss my grandfather every day I think about him all the time I think about how he passed away two weeks before I went to college as a freshman and I met my future husband He was two weeks from meeting my future husband. Two weeks from my future husband meeting one of the most important men in my life. And those are things I think about. He'll never meet his great-grandchildren. I never got to tell him what I actually studied in college because I changed it like three times. But I never got to tell him what I actually got my degrees in. I never got to tell him so many things. He wasn't able to be at my husband Christianized and wedding. And those are things I think about. But the Lord has healed my heart enough through his word, through his promises, through his presence. Because he is with me and he's with you too in your loss. Whether he feels like it or not, he is with you. If you have trusted him to be your savior. If you are in pursuit of a relationship with him, he's with you. I think a lot of times people think, and I I discussed this last week with the empathy versus sympathy. I think people think the best medicine to deal with heartache is to just be happy, pretend it didn't happen, suppress it, don't think about it. But as I was looking through the Bible for insight on like what what does the Bible say about grieving, about loss? 
because, because the Bible gives us insight for life. And I came across a verse in Proverbs 14, verse 13. It says, laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter end, ends, the grief remains. And I read that, and I felt oddly comforted. Because in reading that, that affirmed that Jesus gets, you know, I could go somewhere right after someone very close to me dies. And maybe I could put on a smile. I could, I could put on a brave face. But he knows when I go home, my heart is still hurting. And my heart is safe to grieve with him. And to go through the process of grief. Laughter can conceal a heavy heart. But when the laughter ends, the grief remains. Jesus understands that grief does not go away because you suppress the memory. Grief does not go away because you don't talk about it, because you put on a brave face. Grief impacts your life in many ways, and Jesus gets that. So I just found this verse so comforting. And I came across this verse in Ecclesiastes 7. That's where we'll be spending the rest of our time most of the rest of our time here today. And it's verses three and four. And it says, sorrow is better than laughter because sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. And that was kind of a weird verse because I was like, a wise person thinks a lot about death. That's kind of morbid. And then I was like, hey, maybe I was kind of a wise eight-year-old in some weird twisted way. I don't know. But as I reflected more on verse 3, it says, Sorrow is better than laughter because sadness has a refining influence on us. And man, having walked through 25 plus deaths in my life, I think I could probably confidently say that it's true. I mean, the Bible's true whether I agree with it or not. <laughs> but I can, I can agree with that personally in my own life narrative. That... Sorrow has refined me more than any happiness I've ever experienced ever has. And that's not to say happiness is not important or good. That's Nope, not, that's not what we're saying here. Don't get that confused. What we're saying here is sadness changes who we are and it influences who we are. It has a lasting effect on our life. I remember being in college as it seems like a short time would pass and then another peer would die and just repeated cycle. And I still, was still trying to deal with the loss of my grandfather and then loss of other family members, uh, extended family members who died of, at that time, were natural causes, but death is still hard to deal with if you love someone. And I just remember feeling so out of place and so misunderstood that I don't want people to think like I'm this downer because like I just feel the weight of this loss so much. But I think reading this verse, it's just another affirmation that Jesus understands that sadness is real and that more importantly, it has a refining influence on you. It changes who you are. And if you let the Holy Spirit work through you, he'll let you have the sadness that in your your affliction of the sadness, that after you get to a point where you're able to talk about it and not burst out into tears when he heals your heart a little bit more 
that you can use your story of loss to comfort other people who felt so out of place, who feel like they're the only ones who have so many people around them that they've lost. Or maybe it's not the quantity of people who who have died, but it's a couple really influential people in their life. And that loss is just as huge to them. So I guess just be encouraged that this sadness you feel does refine you and it doesn't have to refine you for for the worst. It doesn't have to make you a terrible person or a worse person, but there is a cycle of sadness you have to walk through. And I think a lot of times with loss, you can get stuck in this cycle of wishing for things that used to be because it hurts too much to be where you are now. It hurts too much to sit in the pain you're feeling and to move forward without the person or people you love. And I think with that, a lot of time comes anger. That's a part of grief, right? There's stages of grief. Anger is a part of grief. In Ecclesiastes 7, Verses 9 through 10 says, Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days, because this is not wise. And I just love that that verse starts out with, Hey, control your anger. Control your temper. Grief is hard. You can be angry, but you need, you need to control your temper. And then it follows with, don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. And I don't, you would think being a lover of Ecclesiastes as an eight-year-old as I was that I would have read this verse, but it wasn't until maybe a year or so ago I came across this verse. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. When it was a convicting and comforting statement, something that the Lord was calling me out of to stop dwelling on wishing things were as they were. Stop dwelling on things that were not the present. But comforting in the sense that he understands that is we're probably going to in the, the chaos of grief. He knows his, his children well enough. He knows that, hey, you're probably stuck in what things were before. You're probably thinking a lot about how you wish you could go back to how things were when things were happy and everyone was there and it was good and you're, you're you're probably just wishing you could have that but this is not wise this this is not good for you i see you're hurting and this is not good for you and for me that that was really comforting cuz that made me feel really known by my creator by jesus but he he knows where my struggles are he knows i'm having a hard time in my grief not being stuck in the past. I'm going to have a hard time not being angry about where I am now. But he knows what's best for us. And it's a convicting statement calling us up. And I I just wanted to share that with you. That, that if you feel unknown by your creator, that he, he knows where your heart's struggling. He knows where it's hard for you. And he knows what's best for you. And... That process is never easy. It's really messy, even. But he knows you fully in every way. And he loves you. And if you go down to verse 14 of chapter 7, it says, Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. 
Remember, nothing is certain in this life. And basically, it's just saying, if you have good days, sweet. If you have really hard days, remember that that God created both. That God gave, God's created every day. And that hard times and good times come from the Lord. And that remember that nothing is certain in this life. And I think what that verse ultimately, while it comes across quite morbid, I think ultimately what it's trying to convey is it's okay to live your life and it's okay to grieve. But remember that your trust should not be on if things are going well. Or your trust should not be on the people around you who have died. But your trust should be on the Lord. Because nothing is certain. I tell you for a fact. As someone who's walked through death after death after death of people I love and know. Nothing is certain in this life. Nothing. And remember that God can be trusted. God is for you. As I said last time, God is for you and God loves you. God sees you. And God can be trusted. I think walking through these experiences a lot of times results in more sadness than anything. Thinking about, well, I know what it's like to walk through losing 20 people I went to school with, 20 people having them die so young, such tragic deaths, or to walk through family members dying suddenly and abruptly in ways you never thought they would. And I think for a lot of times, it kind of made me feel like a freak. That it's like, well, like I know all of this, but like why, why do all, I feel just like sadness through this. And I kind of felt like an outcast in that way for a long time. And then I came across this verse in Ecclesiastes 1.18. It says, For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. And I don't know if you're expecting like, like the fluffy, surfacy Bible verses, you know, like you read on Pinterest. But if that's what you're looking for, this I am not your girl. But this verse for me was, again, super comforting and affirming that I'm not a weirdo because I've had much experience with grief that I just, I feel this overwhelming sadness that this, this world is broken, that, that sin hurts people, that people die, that because I, I have this, this wisdom of getting through, through death and that makes me really sad. That hurts my heart. And it's written in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 18 that that's what's going to happen. That it's almost impossible to experience pain and not be touched by it. Not have sadness touch your life. And I, I just want to affirm you that if you're dealing with sadness, because you know a lot about hard things that you're in good company. You're not alone. I think sometimes about 
how to get through grief because it's sometimes hard to put into words. I have walked through many, many deaths and I've, I've, I've made it this far. But someone I see who is walking through that right now or has walked through it and is struggling, how do I, how do I speak into words and convey things I've learned? And some of that I can't. It's not my place. That's The Lord will use other people. The Lord will use other books. The Lord will use other situations to speak into the person's life. But sometimes I wonder if they were to approach me, how do I convey this and I was thinking about that and I thought about my husband and I's little dog named Wickham and he is a funny guy he is I think the cutest dog as every dog parent says about their dog I'm a little biased he's he's pretty cute and I think about our dog Wickham and there are times where he really gets ahead of himself there are times where and we will go up to the top. My husband and I will go to the top of the stairs and we're like, Wickham, come on, come on. And we'll stand there and we'll wait for him. But he's just like takes off and bolts up the stairs. And he, he like trips and like face plants walking up the stairs. And like his little skinny legs, which are so scrawny, they honestly look like they could snap anyway. And he like will take off and he'll trip and then he'll he'll stand up and then he'll walk up the stairs and he'll trip and he'll face plant again. And we're like, Wickham, Wickham, slow down, slow down. We're here. We're at the top of the stairs for you. And I sometimes I just think if he only slowed down and walked up the stairs one step at a time slowly and he he trusted that we were at the top of the stairs waiting for him that he wouldn't have to bolt up so fast that we he wouldn't have to rush up the stairs so hard that he would just stumble repeatedly and almost hurt himself and i think that's a true true principle same thing for us as humans not just dogs for humans and i see that in proverbs 3 Verses 21 through 26 says, My child, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them, for they will refresh your soul. They are like jewels on a necklace. They will keep you safe on your way, and your feet will not stumble. You can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly. You do not need to be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked, for the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. In my mountain of grief, I need to slow down and take it one step at a time. I need to go up up these stairs of grief just slowly. I need to take my time. I need to process. And I need to look up at the top of, top of this, this stairs of grief and know that my Savior can be trusted that he's there for me. And I, I don't need to, to worry about stumbling if my focus is on him. This is hard stuff. This is a heavy, hard topic. The Lord is your security. You do not need to be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked. 
You can go to bed without fear, and you will lie down and sleep soundly. The Lord promises rest for his children. He is your place of security because nothing around us is certain. Nothing around us is promised other than him and his love. I don't have to live my life in fear that because everyone, seemingly everyone that I know who is my age, dies before they turn 26, I can go to bed at night without fear that that might be my fate too. And, and maybe it will be. I have no way of knowing. But I don't need to carry that with me because the Lord is for me. The Lord will not let my foot stumble. If I hang on to common sense and discernment, they will refresh my soul. I think it's hard to apply this when anxiety and fear creeps up on us and overtakes our thoughts. But just like our little dog who rushes up the stairs and isn't looking where he's going and loses focus and goes way too fast and he face plants and his little skinny arm trips and we're like, buddy, chill, it's okay, calm down, we're right here, we're not leaving, we're right here, we're waiting for you. You can trust us. We'll be here when you get to the top of the stairs. We're not, we're not leaving you by yourself. It's okay. I think we could do the same with our grief. I think we could do the same through processing our grief. That we can bring every stage of our grief to our Savior. That every single step of the way. And that, that's, that's the key. Taking it every step of the way. Don't rush steps. Don't skip steps. Don't bolt through the steps. But allowing yourself to walk through the steps of grief. Knowing, looking up, who's at the top of the stairs? Who's able to be trusted that he's there for you? That he's not leaving once you get to the top stairs. He's there. There's a time for everything. And the Lord is behind every step of the way and he he just wants you to seek him to bring to him your hurting heart because he promises to heal your heart he understands that you might put on a brave face but your grief is still there and he promises to comfort you in a way that is not understandable to humans at all and that one day you'll get to a place where you're able to talk, to talk to and through the hard things that you've walked through and the people you love and their deaths around you. There's a time for everything. Trust God that he will be with you in every single one of those times. <laughs>